to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rodney Hu, and this episode is sponsored by Open Loop, a trusted partner in telehealth companies across the U.S. looking to launch and scale their virtual care services. So check them out at openloophealth.com. Like I said, my name is Rodney Hu, the host, and today I'm joined by another very special guest, Mr. Don Turner. He is the chairman and CEO of Neosinus Health. They are a development platform company that has commercialized a fully integrated platform for optimizing drug delivery and health outcomes. The core platform is designed to optimize the delivery of medications to essential drug pathways and overcome physiological barriers that currently impede high potential drugs. The company is playing a leadership role in advancing high potential existing drugs for new indications and developing a new and innovative class of brain drugs that will address the largest global health burden and finally deliver new therapies that have been unattainable for many decades. So with that being said, I'm excited to have Don on and give him an opportunity to share what they're doing over at Neosinus. Welcome. Thanks, Rodney. Uh, fantastic job, by the way. I think you did better than I did describing it. So maybe I should hire you onto my sales team, but great I know it can sound like a mouthful, but the good news is I think we can also simplify it down to where people can truly understand what it means and more importantly, understand the potential impact, which is truly exciting. Yeah. So why don't we just jump into it? Why don't you give people a brief background of who you are and how you ended up at Neosinus Health and give us a background on that company? Sure. So I have over 25 years of experience commercializing an array of technologies across a number of different industries. I started Northrop Grumman, worked in the intelligence division, a lot of work for the Intel community really looking at technologies 25, 30 years out for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So just really love driving innovation into the market to create an impact. Joined Millennium Pharmaceuticals and helped them build what became one of the most successful biotechs in the industry. Again, very fortunate to work with some of the greatest minds in biotechnology and life sciences, looking at proteomics and genomics and really effectively serving as the, the founders of precision medicine and precision health to really revolutionize how drugs are are created. We talked today about delivering them, but at that time it was all about the creation of drugs that had great potential. Worked in private equity space, was on the advisory board for Cisco Systems. Unfortunately, it wasn't Al Gore that actually built the internet, it was Cisco. So I was very involved with them and really building out the infrastructure of the internet during its heyday and evolution. And uh, previously served as Senior Vice President, Global Head of Commercialization with an IBM Watson Health. So I own global partnerships, acquisitions, sales and marketing globally in more than 130 30 countries, did about 700 deals a quarter, so about over 10,000 deals, so just a lot of business activity. And when I left, I, I really knew two things. I wanted to really stay in healthcare because I truly believe that there's huge potential to make a big impact in the world. And I know that sounds like everyone says the same thing, but I, I truly believe that there is, and, and I'll give an example of it, quite frankly, today. And I also knew I wanted to launch something on my own so that in the end, I could look in the mirror and if something went south, maybe outside of an externality, or I don't know, like a global pandemic that you can't control. But outside of that, I could at least look in the mirror and say, hey, I know who to blame if something goes south. That's where we formed Neosinus Health. You did a great overview of who we are. The genesis of how we began, though, is my two co-founders are ear, nose, and throat surgeons. And so they've spent decades within the nasal environment. And a lot of it's concentrated locally. They don't really get up into the brain or systemic throughout the body, but they concentrate quite a bit in the nasal environment and they're experts because they're surgeons. And so what they realized that a lot of 
the delivery devices, a lot of people will think of a nasal rinse to clean your sinuses, to alleviate allergens and bacteria and contaminates in your nose and flush them out. So you see like a, a neti pod or those kind of nasal irrigation systems. And when you look at the way they operate, there's really no consideration for anatomy and the importance of delivering the fluid to where it belongs and, and really physics. And, uh, and so they realize there's a better way to actually create a delivery system for fluids in the nasal environment. That's certainly exciting. There's a huge opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. So we have clinical data that shows it's a thousand times better than any existing nasal irrigation. But where it gets really exciting is about 20 years or so ago, researchers hypothesized that the nasal environment could serve as an optimal environment to deliver a drug. As some people may know, there's tremendous physiological impedance within the human body that really prevent drugs from being effectively delivered anywhere in your body, including your nose, including throughout your entire body or a systemic delivery of drug. But even more challenging is delivering a drug to the brain, which is why very few drugs are on the market. Even after decades, very few drugs, and even when they come out, are really poor at delivering the drug to the brain. So there's a huge opportunity to really leverage again from an understanding of the nasal environment, the anatomy, and coming up with a platform to allow us to really optimize how drugs are delivered throughout the entire body and ultimately to the brain, the most challenging area. And then with that will come elevated and improved, optimized health outcomes. And it really doesn't get any better than that. So again, I've been involved with lots of great companies. I've been very blessed, but this is one that I have the most excitement around because I think it has the greatest potential with something that's relatively simple, quite frankly, in the end. Nice. So when you talk about drug delivery, I feel like taking drugs, consuming drugs through the nasal passage isn't common. Like most people, whether it may be ingesting it orally or through an IV, but very rare do you hear like advancements in drug delivery in this format. And so yeah. my question, I mentioned a couple alternatives, but what other alternatives are out there that you see people working on, but aren't as efficient, which kind of led you down this rabbit hole and testing this hypothesis and what sort of results have you found that are better than the alternatives? Yeah, that's good. Great question, by the way. So if I could, I'm going to just share my screen and I'm going to pop over here and just show, and I'll, for those who are just listening, I'll uh, describe this as we, so can you see my slide? Yep. We got it on. Yeah. Okay, good. This is a very conceptual slide, but it's very powerful. And so what it illustrates is historically, as I mentioned before, all types of delivery systems and delivery modalities, meaning a way to deliver it, whether it's oral injection, have been tremendously impeded. And it certainly does explain why, again, there's just been an absence of drugs that could treat some of the most debilitating illnesses in the world that have the greatest economic uh, burden in the world. And why, even though the drug has great potential, unfortunately, there's a bunch of side effects, right? You look at any medication bottle and there's an entire paragraph with one point font telling you exactly the 17 potential side effects. And so it's just, it's the way it's historically worked. But if we just walk through this and think about it, most doctors will say injection B is the most effective way to deliver. That's directionally accurate, but it's not completely accurate. And I'm going to tell you why that is. But I think most people can at least agree, certainly for those who have experienced a drug being injected through an IV or a needle, it works pretty quickly. There's still impedance, we'll get to in a minute, but it works pretty quickly. But the reality is that most people don't IVs and needle, right? Which is why on the order of two thirds of all medication delivered to the human body is done orally. And unfortunately, the oral route and even some of the psychedelic companies are failing to consider these physiological barriers. And I, I'm arguing that they think that because it's a psychedelic, and by the way, half our pipeline is focused on psychedelics. So I'm not throwing psychedelics under the bus. I'm illustrating the fact that I think those that are in 
the space trying to lead the way are going to potentially fall victim to the same physiological barriers that impeded all drugs in the history of the world. So if you look on this diagram in the top left-hand side, this is, again, the oral pathway to taking a drug. Again, two-thirds of all drugs are taking orally. It's like popping a pill, right? Taking an M&M. Pretty simple. Throw your mouth and off you go. One of the disadvantages of that is it represents the most challenging pathway to get into your body and certainly all the way to your brain. So it's there's something called the first pass effect. And when you take the oral medication, it goes in through your body, down through your liver, and the liver enzymes degrades the drug on the order of 75 plus percent. That's very problematic, as you can imagine. Once it passes through whatever is left of that drug, it then goes into systemic circulation, think of as your system of organs, right? Where you have your lungs and your heart, your intestines, your kidney, your liver. Those are your systemic organs. And so the, the drug that, again, whatever's left, could be a very small amount, now starts traversing through your systemic circulation and impacting your organs. This is often where a lot of the major side effects are initiated as well. And so there are some great, even emerging classes of drugs that have great potential. And unfortunately, they've fallen victim to this area of impedance where the side effects within the organs, prominent and so problematic, the drug actually gets shelved. Again, it's bad scene. Now, imagine you need to get to your brain. And if we think about neurological disorders, mental health disorders, Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, traumatic brain, epilepsy, seizures, mental health, additional neurological disorders, stress disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, broadly very debilitating illnesses. And the only way to treat them is literally to get to the drug to the brain. So now we've already been impeded through the first pass. We're now being impeded in dealing with that problematic systemic circulation. Now you got to get to the brain. Whatever's left at this point, which again is very little, now has to go through two main barriers. They're called the blood-brain barrier. Many people may have heard that, certainly anyone in drug delivery. They're having nightmares about this. And then blood CSF, which is cerebral spinal fluid, which is another kind of pathway to enter the brain. Blood-brain barrier blocks 98 to 100%. Yes, inclusive of 100%, which means that there are a host of drugs and medication that will not get into the brain at all. There's 100% blockage, if not 98% blockage. So when you aggregate all this together, the potential for that oral drug to make it all the way through to the brain is extraordinarily low. The odds are absolutely against it. That's oral. And as I mentioned before, doctors often say injection and intravenous is the most quote-unquote effective way to deliver a drug. What they're referring to is they'll often say, because it achieves 100% bioavailability. Bioavailability definition is what percentage of the drug gets into the bloodstream. And so, of course, if you're injecting into the bloodstream, 100% of the drug is getting into the bloodstream. But that doesn't mean it's getting to the target. And that's where I think a lot of the confusion resides. So yes, if you're trying to get the drug into the bloodstream, injection is very effective. If you're trying to get it to the brain, is it just as effective? No, it isn't. And so let's walk through that. Injection and intravenous, as you see from this slide, also goes into the bloodstream, which means it goes into systemic circulation, which as I described before, hits the lungs, the heart, the kidneys, the liver, the intestines, all the major organs, including additional organ you may have heard of, the brain. And so it's starting to circulate 
circulate through there. Again, the most effective way is circulating through there, producing side effects. And then imagine even if you take IV or needle, getting it to the brain, it still has, it has no option but to traverse the blood-brain barrier and blood CSF barrier, and we're back to 98 to 100% blockage. So even, quote unquote, the most effective way, as you can see, there's huge problems because of systemic circulation, and there's huge impedance because of the blood-brain, blood CSF barrier. As you asked, other areas of delivering the drug, and as you see on this slide on the bottom left, transdermal patch. And so the attraction of a patch, and it has utility, just like oral is easy, self-administration, pop it in your mouth. You don't have to give yourself an injection or an intravenous delivery of drug. Transdermal is pretty straightforward. A patch, you put it on your skin, pretty straightforward. But even there is very much like the injection and IV. It still has to go through systemic circulation. It still has to traverse the blood-brain barrier and blood CSF barrier. And that's considered one of the more advanced, quote-unquote, areas of drug delivery is transdermal. And there's a lot of companies that have received tremendous funding. I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus here. I'm trying to illustrate that as exciting and as that is, we go all the way back to the realities of the physiological barriers that prevent the drugs from getting to the brain. So all that I just described is the historical way of delivering drugs through all the known modalities. We really haven't left anything off. If you go to the far right of this particular slide, we're talking about the future. And the great news is the future is here today, intranasal delivery. And the advantage of intranasal delivery, and so about 20 years ago, as I mentioned before, scientists hypothesized that the nasal environment could serve as a potential optimal environment to deliver a drug. And they were actually right. And what they were playing off is the realization that within your nasal environment, there is something called a respiratory zone. It's around the middle of your nose. It's the far left and far right, the outer walls, the lateral walls of your nasal environment. And if you can deliver a drug there, there are certain routes neuronal routes, intracellular, extracellular, which are non-blood brain barrier routes that direct the blood directly to the brain. That's in the trigeminal nerves in the outer side of your walls, your respiratory zone within your nasal cavity. And then there's another part that's even more effective at delivering directly to the brain. It's called the olfactory. This is a nerve center in the middle of your eyebrows, you can imagine. You can access it through the nasal environment, very difficult, but with the right delivery platform that's anatomically designed, you can actually direct the fluid or the drug to the olfactory area where the nerves are. It'll give you a direct transport directly to the brain. So again, let's think about this. There is a way today to direct a drug in a manner that provides direct-to-brain drug delivery, overcomes all that barrier, all the physiological impedance that I previously described. And that's what's hugely exciting about not only the platform that we're working on, but the future of medicine, because it's those barriers that have impeded some of the highest potential drugs that have ever been created that got the entire industry excited after decades of research and clinical development that now finally have a platform to use to be able to deliver that drug directly to the man that's awesome because like you said like before you had mentioned this i've only thought of oral injection and intravenous and maybe even transdermal but i never thought about drug delivery through the intranasal and so i like how you mentioned that these old ways, these other alternatives, even though these drugs may be good and what's actually within these drugs can be valuable and beneficial, but the way that they're being delivered really, instead of receiving 100% of that, you're only receiving 70% or even less, depending on the routine you take, the route you take. But doing it intranasal, there's more bioavailability to the body and you're surpassing all these barriers. But you answered the question on like how this helps because it's more bioavailability. Yeah. But my next question is, 
who does this help? What sort of illnesses does this help address? And how does the end consumer really benefit off of this advancement, off of this? Yeah, great, great question. So I'm going to flip just to another slide here. And again, we'll walk through it for those who are just hearing audio. As a company that's leading the way in intranasal delivery, we really sat back and we said, what areas, what indications, what illnesses can we and should we focus on? The great news is that any indication, any illness that requires delivery of a drug can absolutely benefit from intranasal delivery, hands down. But if you carve out the entire space of illnesses and disease therapeutic areas, there's a few that just kind of jump right to the top as having the highest potential. And I've been involved with launching lots of technology and lots of products in the market. And what I've realized, certainly the hard way, is that when you're dealing with a very congested environment where there's lots of different options and lots of different products, even if you may have the best product and option out there, it's still congestion and it complicates matters. And it's hard for people to differentiate. And I'm a big fan of kind of taking the path of least resistance. And so certainly when you think about where should we focus, and this is not just us, but we have been very blessed with interfacing with internationally renowned scientists and doctors and clinicians, many of whom are on our scientific advisory board. And so they've all said the same thing. Guys, you've got to focus on mental health, psychiatric disorders. You've got to focus on neurological disorders. And the reason they're saying that, of course, is because it's all about getting drugs to the brain. And that's been historically the most challenging path. And so again, you'd say here, wait a minute, Don, didn't you just say path of least resistance? So let me get this straight. So you're advancing drugs down a therapeutic area that has laid victim to hundreds and thousands of different drugs. Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. But the reason I'm saying it and the reason I'm doing it and the reason I'm so confident is because we have discovered that there is an optimal environment to deliver a drug with our device. We haven't discovered that intranasal delivery, again, that was discovered 20 years. Scientists, very skilled, tremendous expertise, decades of experience have discovered that decades ago. What we have brought to bear to the marketplace is a unique device that has taken into consideration the anatomy of the nasal environment have taken into consideration the importance of factoring in the anatomy to be able to direct effectively target flow of drugs. And then lastly is the laws of physics. And the reason I bring that up and it may sound a little bit odd is because when you think about the existing devices that are out there, they're all very similar. The underside of them, the bottom half of them, if you will, the non-nozzle part of them may be very unique. They may look like a spaceship. They may look very futuristic. You may have to interact with them in a variety of different ways that feel very advanced very futuristic. But remember, the bottom is really what holds the drug. There's nothing really novel about that. All the magic, if you will, happens in the nozzle itself. And so again, factoring in the anatomy, as we know, because they're surgeons in nasal anatomy, the, the nozzle was designed to accommodate and to bypass all the anatomical impedance. When you go back to these other devices, they're all the same on the top. So again, the bottoms are very different, but the tops 100% are all the same. And there are three things that are all problematic. They're short, they're straight up with a single hole. And the reason that's a problem is because if you imagine your nose, and your nose is not like a, a wide open three-dimensional space like you and I sitting in right now. It's very anatomically impeded with lots of barrier. And particularly on the front part of your nose, it's called the vestibule of your house. The vestibule is the front end of your nose. And these devices are not long enough to actually bypass that. So they're short. And what happens is the drug gets sent to the back of the throat or comes outside your nose, which is not what 
way you want it. That's number one. Number two, the vestibule is not the vascular area of the nasal environment. That is more deeper in into the respiratory side. That's where you want to deliver the drug. And so you may say, they'll just extend the nozzle and then we're done. Still, it does not work. And here's why. Because direction matters. Meaning that once you get in and bypass the front of your nose, you now have to direct the drug. And maybe I'll, I'll show a slide on this because I think it's really important to see this picture. So if you look at this right now, and you can imagine this as you're listening to it, is to deliver the drug. If you think about your nasal environment, what you're trying to get to is that when you're inside the nasal environment, the far left and the far the outer walls of your nasal environment. And so you can imagine if that device is short, again, it's going to get stuck in the front of your nose, back of the throat, outside your nose. Even if it's a little bit longer, this is why I say physics, it can't defy the laws of physics. It can't force the fluid to curve to the far right and to the far left. It's literally impossible to do. And that's why our device has that directional capability to get to all different directions within the nasal environment to deliver the fluid throughout the entire nasal environment as needed. And then imagine if you want to get to the olfactory. Remember the skull base, which again is quote unquote accessible through the nasal environment, but it's even more challenging to get to. So to get to the lateral walls, you got to go back, left and right. Think of that, back, up, left and right, hard to do. The olfactory, which is the optimal environment to deliver a drug to the brain is in your skull base, right between your eyebrows, as you can imagine. To get there, you got to go through the front of your nose vestibule, you got to go back and then angle up at a certain degree again. So think about that. And here's the best way I describe the challenge in doing this. So imagine if you're sitting in a, your house and you get a 30 by 30 foot house and you're standing on one end. And I tell you, take a hose and spray the far wall. That would be pretty straightforward. You just increase pressure and shoot it directly across and you're going to hit the wall across. But what if I said, now here's your challenge. I want you to spray the ceiling, but not above you. I want to spray the last 10 feet of the ceiling only. And think about in your mind, you say, wait a minute. So I'm standing on the far end of the house. So I've got to shoot this stream. I know the stream is now going to curve down because of gravity, but you're asking for me to then direct it back up at the last 10 feet of the ceiling. And that's exactly what's going on here because the olfactory represents the latter third of the entire nasal environment, which is why you have to curve it up, back, and then angle it up again. You cannot defy the laws of physics and do that. And so that's exactly why our device was designed this way, to hit any part of the nasal environment, to go full, to open up the nasal environment because of the tapering of the device, to bypass the inferior interpinate, the vestibule up here, to bypass so it doesn't shoot to the back of the throat, which has been a huge problem with drug delivery. There's an ear pressure, there's discomfort, there's bad taste. This has actually impeded a lot of drugs in the past. Our device prohibits all that from happening. And then being able to directionally control that fluid to the far right, to the up and above the different parts of your nasal environment, to the higher sinus areas, and ultimately to the olfactory. And that's the uniqueness here that we have, which again is very exciting. And because of that, you asked about the different indications. Again, you go back into neurological disorders, Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson, multiple sclerosis. Those are degenerative illnesses. You think about impact image, impact, trauma to the brain, traumatic brain injury, epilepsy, seizures. These are just dramatic pain, migraine. These are just debilitating illnesses. These are all in a neurological space. These are all in a drug brain space that, again, is proven to be highly problematic from the history of the pharmaceutical industry. And then you think about the mental health. Just again, just think about depression, treatment-resistant depression. More than 50% of people who take depression drugs that have been around forever 
fail to respond to the drug. Imagine that. Imagine taking a drug and yet only half of the population even respond. And then that cohort of treatment-resistant depression, meaning you're resisting a response to any of the known treatments, most of them do not respond to the existing drugs. And so this is really painful when you think about all these people who are suffering with neurological and mental health disorders, PTSD, postpartum depression, full depression, a host of issues that are just completely debilitating. And yet you look down the pipeline, you look to the pharmaceutical and life sciences industry and hope and pray that something's going to come and then drugs come. So we have had examples. I'm not going to call them out because I'm not here to throw anybody under the bus. But there are two preeminent examples, one in 2019 that came out for depression. And the headline was first drug for depression in 35 years. That's unbelievable. But when I just described why that is, it's less unbelievable. It actually makes sense, quote unquote, completely flopped because of a host of different issues, particularly upon how they're delivering the drug and how they interfered with the drug. And that's one thing I really want to talk about right now. So what do I mean by interfere with the drugs? One of the advantages we have, which is very unique. So most pharmaceutical companies run from off-patent drugs. When they go off-patent, they run from them because from their standpoint, and remember, I've helped build out a pharmaceutical company. I get why they're doing this, actually, is it takes... 10 to 14 years to produce a two and a half billion dollars to produce a blockbuster drug. And then your patents about five or seven years beyond that, sometimes even less. And so you have a very short window to recoup billions of dollars, which explains why drugs are so expensive. The only reason you even enter into that journey is because you believe that you have exclusivity and patent protection around that. Because if everybody can use it, then why would you spend 10 or 15 years and billions of dollars producing? It doesn't make any sense. So again, most pharmaceutical companies run from off patent drugs. Great news here is that doesn't scare us at all. In fact, we completely embrace off-patent drug. And you'd be like, how can you? Why would you? Because we actually have a fully patented across the world intranasal delivery platform. And so for us, unlike the other pharmaceutical companies, we can look upstream to existing drugs that have been around forever that have huge potential. Think of insulin, think of ketamine, think of sumatriptan, think of fluticasone. There's a host of drugs that have been around decades that have a beautiful safety profile. Women who are pregnant can even take the drug. Children can take the drug. It literally is that safe. Doctors and scientists and clinicians have seen that it has great potential. And so they use it off-label, which means it's not written exactly for that, but they still use it for it because they can, as doctors, do that if the safety profile is known and they're comfortable with it. And so there's a host of drugs that they're saying, why don't you just use these drugs? The FDA, in fact, buys into that, as they should. They're encouraging the pharmaceutical industry to retool and reutilize drugs that are already been produced. That makes sense. But again, it doesn't economically make sense for the pharmaceutical companies. And so they run from it. For us, we can embrace that. And so part of our platform is the ability to upstream, open up, and cherry pick drugs that are off patent that have great potential, if and only if they could be effectively delivered to the body and in particular the brain. Because again, as the history has shown, even if it's the best in class drug, if all this physiological impedance is there, it simply is not going to work. Let's flip to the other far side of this. So there, so you may ask, is anyone trying to solve this problem or are they just falling down to it? And also for a long period of time, scientists and clinicians and researchers have said, you know what, these barriers are really problematic. 
I wonder if we can create anything like a chemical nanotechnology, a nanoparticle, something that would help with the absorption and distribution of a drug to overcome this impedance. And there's just a lot of work there. So there are dozens and dozens of these nanoparticles, nanotechnology, nanomedicines that are really chemicals. They're not active pharmaceutical ingredients. These APIs, these active pharmaceutical ingredients, is the drug itself. It's the sumatriptan, it's the insulin, it's the ketamine. That's actually what's producing the outcome. But if you take a chemical entity that just helps to facilitate the delivery, it's considered an excipient. It's helping on the delivery. It's not the active drug. And so the industry has really opened that up and said, hey, let's. can you please help? We need help. And so there are a lot of those around. So think of there's a lot of off-patent drugs sitting there not being used. There's a lot of excipients on the other side, but even as history has shown, you take these advanced excipients and you combine them with these best-in-class drugs and they're still and they're still failing. So what is missing? It's what I've been talking about the entire time. It's the delivery device. So let's go back into the nasal environment. So I did a keynote the other day on drug delivery and nanomedicine. And on that, in that event were lots of renowned scientists that focus on these excipients. They were really focused on what's called absorption and distribution. When you in administer the drug, wherever that point of administration, a key concept is, they take their technology and they help with the absorption and distribution. And here's what I said to them. I said, listen, what you're doing is great because we do want to find the best in class drugs that have grades that has full optimization written around it. On the other side, we do want to embrace nanotechnologies, excipients, to further improve the optimization of the drug in terms of absorption and distribution throughout your body. But in the nasal environment, it's only meaningful if you can deliver the drug to the point of administration. This is what I said to them. Think about it. This is people, their entire careers have been around absorption and distribution. What I said to them was within the nasal environment, for which we're all talking about is the optimal environment to deliver a drug, unless you can reach the point of administration, the lateral walls, the respiratory, the olfactory, excipients, and everything you're talking about has no bearing and utility whatsoever. It doesn't matter about absorption and distribution. It only matters at the point of administration. And everyone said, you're right. So think about this. We, we now understand what's required to have an end-to-end -end platform for optimizing drug delivery and health outcomes. Select best-in-class drugs with greatest potential with, with known safety profiles. Combine them with a device that can effectively deliver to the point of administration to optimize drug delivery, to overcome all those barriers and directly deliver a drug to the brain. And then combine that with emerging nanotechnologies and nanoparticle systems that then further optimize the delivery of drug from an absorption and distribution standpoint. The great news is just we don't really care whether those drugs are patented or not. We can look downstream and not care if those excipients in nanoparticle systems are patented or not. That's a unique advantage because remember, which is the lock, the, the key to the lock, it matters on the intranasal delivery device. Nothing else around it really matters. And so when you combine it all together, you really have an end-to-end -end platform. And that's what gets us excited. And again, circling all the way back to your question, who can benefit from it? Everyone who takes a drug can benefit it from it. There is not a drug, there's not an indication that couldn't be a benefactor of an improved drug delivery system. It's simply, and that's why we say we're optimizing drug delivery and health outcomes. Why? Because the two are interrelated and driven by the other, right? You improve drug delivery, you will therefore improve health outcomes for the entire planet, for the entire population population of illnesses, the entire population of drugs. No boundary. Okay, man, it's a lot of information, but I see what you're working on, see why it's valuable, and I see why you'd want to 
find these other companies, these other people working on developing these drugs, and you're just helping them. They're getting, you don't have to go from zero to 100. They're going from zero to 70. You're just helping them get from 70 to 100. And I see that's where you fit in as far as a value add to these other companies, uh, pharmaceutical companies or whoever is working on these different treatments, these different drugs, these cures to these very serious diseases. And you're just trying to create a product, a platform like you mentioned that really optimizes that process. And so I really like that. How do people get a hold of this? Like when I think when you were first talking about this, when I think of like intranasal drug delivery, first off, it, I think of drugs that aren't legal that you would think of, but then also you also think about allergy sprays. That's something yeah. that can pop into the mind. Yeah. But how, how does air and how do people get their hands on this sort of? Thing? We actually walked into the market, the inverse way of describing, right? So you talked about drugs and you're like, there's illegal drugs. And then you backed up and said, there's legal drugs. And then you further backed up and said nasal irrigation, right? And so that's actually where we started. So we intentionally split our business and we have one side of our business, which is consumer products, which are really over-the-counter products that are not regulated. We're registered with the FDA, but we're not regulated. So for example, these nasal irrigation. So anyone who's suffering from allergies, allergic rhinitis, chronic sinusitis, bacteria, people who are concerned about viruses and bacteria getting into their noses. Remember, one thing to keep in mind here is that your nose is your AC filter to your body. It's unbelievable. When I first got into the business, I even told my founders, you know what? I'm not really interested in noses. I'm good. And now I'm a huge lover of the nose, if you will, because what I've come to realize and come to appreciate is the significance of your nose. It is the inlet to your body. It's what warms and hydrates the fluid. It's what rinses bacterial and in contaminants. Anything that doesn't belong in your body, its job is to rinse and remove that out. There's something called mucus ciliary clearance, which is your mucus in your nose draining, but it's draining at a slow rate. And so that's where the whole concept of nasal irrigation came, which is another additional mechanism to really accelerate that flushing and removal of allergens. And so that's where we began. And we began there because quite frankly, we had clinical data that's been presented at the American Otolaryngology Association. I know that's a long word, but think of it as the experts in nose, ear, nose, and throat. And to present at one of those conferences once is pretty good. There's a lot of competition twice. Very unusual. We've now done it three times. And what we've presented is the performance comparison of our device to every device in the world. And so we knew that clinically it was superior. We knew that we took into consideration a nasal anatomy. We knew because the founders are also clinicians and they know that trying to help their patients breathe better and rinse their nose has been a problem because largely two reasons. One is because of the side effects. So anyone who's irrigating their nose, a neti pot, there are other similar kind of nasal irrigation systems. That's a saline rinse. But there's two things that are going on that's very problematic. So one is because, remember, let's go back into my description of the nozzle, short, straight up with a single hole. And so what happens is they block the nasal, the nostril going in one side, which is already starting to build up a pressure. Because they're short, they're hitting that inferior terminate, that first major anatomical barrier, and it's sending the fluid to the back of the throat. This is causing a level of discomfort, really a drowning sensation. And think about this. No one likes to drown, right? It's very uncomfortable. You want to get secrets from ISIS? You waterboard them, right? You drown them. Nobody likes that. Additionally, your ear tubes terminate. The eustachian tubes terminate in the back of your throat. So think about the discomfort you may feel if you're jumping into a pool or whether you go high into the mountains or in a plane. You feel pressure, very uncomfortable. People cry, kids cry, adults cry. Nobody likes that pain. That's what's going on when you send any 
any fluid back there. So that's a huge problem. That's why very few people like to rinse. They may be forced to rinse, but they certainly don't like it. And so the compliance is extraordinarily low. We've 100% eliminated that because of the directional control. We've actually clinically shown 0.0% goes to the back of the throat, completely eliminated. We have patients who have never been able to rinse before. We have people who couldn't rinse because of the ear pressure, ear discomfort, use it every single day and use it with pleasure. They love it. So that's problem number one, that every other device is creating a problem around. Number two is, think about what are you trying to do? You're trying to rinse your nose. So how do you properly rinse your nose of these allergens or viruses or bacteria? Well, you got to first throw out your nasal environment as much as possible. Just hitting a couple dots here and there isn't going to help. You got to adequately flush out areas that are generally difficult to reach. Why? Because I've already explained it. There are anatomical areas that are very difficult to get to. If you have a straight nozzle, you can't defy the laws of physics and get them there. Additionally, we've shown that we can, again, direct the fluid, not only in the areas, but at a volume that properly flushes out those allergens of bacteria. The last point, this is very important, is think about what I just said. With the other devices, you're blocking your nostril. You're squeezing it. And anyone who's used these devices will attest to this. The fluid comes out the other side of your nose and you're like, oh, big deal. It actually is a huge deal. And here's why. Let's back up. Why do you rinse your nose? You rinse your nose to properly flush the allergens from your nose. Our device is thin. It doesn't block your nostril. It gently hits not a few areas, but all the areas. So there's a proper rinse. It does not go to the back of the throat. So guess what? It's not going to come out the other side. It comes out the same side. So think about this. You don't want to take the allergens and bacteria and push them into your body, to the back of your throat, where some will go down into your body and then out the other side that may have not had bacteria, but it certainly does now. Could you now push it not only into your body, but into the other side? Our device prohibits that. It can never, it's going up the same side, properly flushing, coming out the same side. And that's huge. And so that's what we've released in to the market. So we knew they had superior design, but what we didn't quite frankly know, is anyone going to put a curved piece of plastic in their nose? I, we really didn't know. And we've received tremendous kudos because again, it's so gentle in how it's tapered. It gently opens up your anatomy. It's very soft. It doesn't go that far in, but enough so that it can effectively deliver. And we have people who have never been able to use any device use a device every single day, several times a day. We have children who have never been able to use a device who use a device several times a day. And so that's how we started into the market. And so we know it works. For anyone who's, again, suffering from allergies and, and congestion and allergic rhinitis, or even wants to remember, it is your respiratory system. So you're breathing. People who have breathing issues, who can't breathe properly, can benefit from this because that's the intent of what you're trying to clean out your nasal passages. Guess what? So you can breathe better. So cleaner air goes into your body. So contaminants are not getting into your body. Viruses, bacteria, not into your body, flushed out. So you can use this right now. And then we use the same architecture, the exact same nozzle design and put it on a medical device. And so that medical device now enables us to work with, for example, compounding pharmacies. So everything I just previously described is non-medicated. It's saline, right? It's salt water. But there are people who are suffering to a greater extent that need an antibiotic, an anti inflammatory. And so compounding pharmacies are able to actually mix a drug like budesonide into that rinse to rinse out your nose to actually reduce the inflammation. We have actually doctors at preeminent centers that have shown by using our device to properly rinse the upper sinus areas that are very difficult to get to, it's prevented them from actually 
performing very complex, costly surgery. And you think, oh, everybody wants it. All doctors want surgery. They make money. No, not when it's really complicated surgery and not when the likelihood of the surgery not work is there, where they're not going to blame the instrument. They're going to blame the doctor holding the instrument. And so there are certain procedures where doctors really don't want to perform it because they probably will not look good if it doesn't play out. And so using our device, because the way in which it works actually prevented them from actually performing the surgery and everybody wins, believe it or not, everybody wins. Even the doctor does not want to go there. The patient obviously doesn't want to go there and pay for it. So we have the device that's already out for that purpose. And then we have the same architecture where, as you mentioned before, whether we work with uh, drug companies, whether we do our own clinical studies, whether we work with existing clinics that are delivering, say, for example, ketamine uh, and want a better way to deliver a ketamine, which is a it's a regulated drug, but it's a legal drug. And there are drugs like that out there that, yes, they're regulated. They're not illegal. They're not being bought out of the back of a car, but they're legal. But they're looking for an optimal way to deliver the drug. And so one side to other, we're marching through the marketplace and exposing the marketplace to our product to give everybody, again, we are really focused on improving the human condition, making people feel better, transforming their health in ways that they've never experienced before. And again, this is not hyperbole. This is reality. And we've clinically shown it. It's interesting, man. It's very eye-open. We've been talking a lot about just optimizing the drug delivery process, but we're coming up towards the end of the interview and i like to end each episode on a little lighter exercise with something <laughs> i call the rapid fire round bro i'm just going to ask you a set of questions and you give me whatever answers you come up with this is the hot pot Question number one, what is your favorite book? Of favorite book of all time. So I'm going to admit something, quite frankly. I don't know as though I've read a book from beginning to end. I know that's not the right answer you want. It's how my brain is wired. I probably have one of the worst cases of ADD on the planet. And so after like page three, my brain is gone. And so I honestly can't think of a book that I've read from beginning to end. But I, I can tell you that I've heard uh, and maybe read little bits and pieces of some books. And I think Crossing the Chasm, I think is probably one of the better books that I honestly relate to and incorporate into my day-to-day -day life of business because it's all about trying to get to crossing the chasm is the bell curve and there's early adapters on on the front end there's the kind of largest part of the market in the middle and then there's the laggards in the far end to penetrate any market you got to get from those early adopters which are risk oriented they're not risk averse like the rest of the population. And you got to cross that chasm into the larger part of the bell curve. And that is largely an impedance that has adversely affected lots of different products and technology from getting into the marketplace. So that book, pieces of that book, as I remember it, and as I've talked to people around, I think is probably, quite frankly, the, one of the most practical books because I, I use it every single day. Question number two, who is the most influential person in your life? Or Wow, I was very blessed. And this is actually on my resume and on my LinkedIn profile. The job that I have the most memory around and I feel most honored is for 14 years, I was a patient care attendant for a ventilated dependent quadriplegic, a good friend of mine, actually, through high school, through college, while in corporate. And he uh, he was a, an amazing human being. He was 5'4", and could bench 400 pounds. He was 5'4", but could dunk a basketball. He was voted nice. best looking, most social, most athletic. He was just literally a superhuman. And because of a tragic accident, when he was 17 years old, he went from that to literally dying. He broke his neck, died twice going to the hospital, was on a ventilator, couldn't breathe. I, I changed his clothes. I changed his diapers. I cleaned his teeth. I fed him. He was breathing from a machine. And so with all that, going from someone who had every to someone who, quote unquote, had 
nothing. He was the most optimistic, upbeat person I've ever met. And he really helped me keep grounded to what life is all about. And I remember when I was in corporate, I would bring him in to meet people and people would come in and I wasn't trying to push people back. I always had an open door policy. I always cared about people. People would come in and sit at my desk and moan and groan and bitch about how bad the day was. And I would have a picture of Eric and I would turn the picture. And I'd say, remember Eric? They're like, yeah. I said, are you really having a bad day? I'm not. I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to push them back. I was trying to reset context. And if Someone like that, if you ask him and people who got to know him, they're like, Eric, you're always happy. Like, why? And he was actually confused by the question, like legitimately. And they're like, because of your situation. He said, listen, there are children who are dying. I'm alive. And there are people who can't see and smell. I have all that. I'm pretty damn lucky. So think about someone in that situation who felt so damn lucky. It's because he had a perspective that few people in the world has. When you have that perspective, it makes it a little bit easier to get through the day each and every time. I've had great leaders. Obviously, I've been blessed to work around great people in the academic world, in the corporate world, and everywhere in between. That that human being, Eric Vicky, had the greatest impact on me today and forever will have an impact on me because of what he's given me. Yes, I spent a lot of time with him. I worked. I gave a lot back, so to speak. But I got so much more from him with so much utility that we can use in every aspect of our life than I ever gave him. Awesome. Shout out to him. I like yeah. that. Number three, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year? This year. So we're... We're in the process of doing a round A capital raise. We've got seed funding to get us going. I'm an investor into the business. But as everything I just described has gotten a lot of people really excited, particularly as it relates to, and I already mentioned, we're already in the nasal rinse side and we're doing great there, great money, but we just keep getting pushed, not just because we want to go, but from others outside our advisors saying, Don, this is a huge opportunity. You, you got to go quick. And so we're going to go get a capital A raise, raise money, move us to a whole new level and really pretty quickly bring drugs to the market. Because again, the way in which we're selecting those drugs and the type of drugs that we're selecting are going to give us the opportunity to go quicker than traditional drug discovery and drug delivery, drug discovery and drug development. And so if we can get that done by the end of the year, that's going to be a huge goal. Not but not just for us. Forget us. This is a huge accomplishment for the entire world, a huge goal for the entire world, because so many people are going to benefit from it. Awesome. And then last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? Wow. My 20 year old self, maybe don't do everything I did up to that point in my life. Do it a little bit differently. Here's what I'd say is, and this is important. I think I say this when I speak to, when I do keynotes at universities, whatever, with aspiring young people who are just beginning their lives, so to speak, is don't let someone's perception of you stop you from doing something you can do. Don't let someone's description of who you are or who they think you are or a label they give you where you can go in life. I'm not going to go into the details now, but I can tell you if I told you about my background, you'd probably be really surprised. And I can tell you, people labeled me. I had a, a handicap growing up. I was treated differently from all the other students. I was told I could never go to college. Uh, I was told I'd end up in jail and never be anything. And, and I ignored all of them. It didn't matter what they said because I knew what was possible. And so that's my advice to everyone is at any age, don't let someone's description, perception, and labeling of you stop you from doing because every one of us, doesn't matter who we are, what we are, what we have, what we don't have, our weaknesses, our strengths, our handicaps, completely irrelevant. We can all make a huge contribution to life. We can all make a difference in the world. Forget what everybody says. Screw them. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. In fact, if anything, use what they say against you, so to speak, to actually motivate you to 
to prove them wrong. And we can all like do that. The saying, a lion doesn't lose sleep over the opinion of sheep. I really like that. That is a great um, one. The perfect piece of advice, excellent way to end today's value information packed episode. So Don, I just want to thank you again for jumping on, sharing what you're doing over at Neo Sinus Health and the impact that you guys are looking to create within the healthcare space. But before you go, where can people learn a little bit more about you and your company and connect with you if they have any more questions? Thank you. So you can go to our website, neosinus.com, N-E-O-S-I-N-U-S.com, neosinus.com. That's where we actually sell our products online. And then you can certainly reach me through LinkedIn. I'm very active in that channel. Lots of announcements coming out of me. Lots of contributions that I make are surfaced there as well. So either channel to get to me would be great. Again, I welcome anyone who wants to learn more, wants to potentially collaborate with us, has questions, they don't believe what I say. It's all good. Just reach out and let's just see where our conversation Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all those links in the resources section. But with that being said, that ends today's podcast. Catch you guys on the next one.